today, uh, we want to continue our uh, study in Breshit in uh, Genesis. And uh, last week, we were looking at um, a real uh, uncomfortable, a real uncomfortable uh, uh, place where it seemingly the king of Gerar was uh, showing himself to be in a better place than Abraham. And that's, you know, that is never comfortable. But like we saw last week, we let the text speak for itself. Uh, and, uh, and we see, we saw there that uh, even, even though Abraham was trying to control the situation, uh, God uh, saved the day. And one of the things we learn, even as we will see now in chapter 21, when we try to control the situation, the situation ends up controlling us. Uh, and, uh, and God intervenes. God saved the covenant uh, there with, with uh, Abimelech in, you know, in chapter, uh, in chapter uh, 20. And Abraham ends up at the end of the chapter kind of saving the day because he prays for the people of Gerar. He, play, he prays for Abimelech. He's called a prophet. Remember what I said the first time the word is even used here in the, you know, in the Bible? Uh, and, uh, and so here in chapter 21, chapter 21 is very interesting because uh, what I want to do is read the last part of it, or the second half, make a couple of comments, and then read the first part. Because when you look at the big scheme of things, what we have in chapter 21 now is the birth of Isaac, and then, you know, Hagar and Ishmael being sent away. And then at the other end of it is, we're still with Abraham and Abimelech. So it's like a sandwich. So you have chapter 20, the whole story with, you know, Abraham and Sarah and Abimelech and, and all of that, right? Uh, and then at the end of chapter 21, you have like a continuation of the, of the story, where Abraham and Abimelech uh, have another uh, issue that they deal with. And in between them is the birth of Isaac and Hagar and uh, Ishmael being sent away. So always important to notice things like that uh, in the text. It's not just some running historical commentary, but the way that it's laid out is teaching us things. So, Let's look at the end of chapter 21 first, as at the continuation of the saga of Abraham and Avimelech, the king of Gerar, uh, the Philistine king. Okay. Now it came about at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now we don't know exactly what that time is. It could either be uh, right after Abraham prayed at the end of chapter 20, or it could be after Ishmael is born, or after Isaac is born, and then another few years. So it could be like uh, three years later, or it could be very close at, at hand. We're not quite sure, okay? So uh, uh, Abimelech says, Avimelech says, God is with you in all that you do. And therefore swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my offspring or with my posterity. But according to the kindness that I have shown to you, you shall show to me and to the land which you have sojourned. 
So when he says God, he's El, he's talking about El, like deity, right? It doesn't mean that Avi Melech has, as we would say, a personal relationship with God, okay? But he's a person who believes in a God. He may not know who God is or the God of, really understand the God of Israel, but he understands that there's something very special about Abraham and Abraham's God, okay? Uh, and uh, Avi Melech and uh, the people in his kingdom have been healed by the prayer of Abraham. So he sees here. So isn't it interesting how God works? Abraham's trying to control the situation. It gets out of control. God takes control and makes a marvelous testimony out of it. The end. I mean, <laughs> there you go, right? Uh, and that's what we see. Uh, through all of the muck and mire of chapter 20, in verses 17 and 18, it says, And Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Avimelech and his wife and his maids so that they bore children. Everybody, you know, see, you know what, what God did to, the, uh, uh, to Avimelech and everybody in the kingdom? He made them sterile. That's what he did. But now he heals them through Abraham's prayer. For the Lord has closed fast all the wombs of the household of Avimelech, because of Sarah, Abraham's wife, so that nothing could happen to Sarah, right? That's what he does. But now Avimelech sees, wow, I, I, Abraham has this unique relationship with his God because his God spoke to me, you know, and even, and even uh, validated my integrity, Avimelech is thinking. That's what we talked about last week, right? I, and, uh, and now... Uh, Abraham is still dwelling in the region. We're not quite sure where the boundary marker was, even if there was one, because it seems to go back and forth between Abraham dwelling in the land of the Philistines and dwelling in Beersheba uh, and at the same time. And so evidently there was some kind of fluid boundary here with, with Beersheba and the land of the, of the Philistines along the coast. All right, uh, so we see here uh, they continue to have this amicable relationship. In this whole, in this whole section, Avimelech is a, uh, a decent fellow, okay? All right, so Abraham says, I swear it. So they're going to, so Abraham promises to show kindness with Avimelech's offspring, his posterity, and all of that. Now, but Abraham has an issue. Abraham complained to Avimelech because of the well of water which the servants of Avimelech had seized. Okay? So, evidently, Abraham, Abraham had a well and the, uh, and the people of Avimelech took the well. Avimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. Neither did you tell me, nor did I hear it until today. It's kind of interesting Avimelech doesn't seem to know a lot of important things uh, in chapter 20 and in chapter 21, okay? Until either God or Abraham informs him. All right. And Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Avimelech, and the two of them made a covenant, made a treaty. This is a great example of mutual blessing, the blessing of the other, the chosen blessing the other, the other choosing the blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Another outworking of Genesis chapter 12 with Avi Melech. It seems, as we're going to see, that 
People who are in relationship with Abraham are blessed. And those uh, whom Abraham, and, and then Abraham is blessed as well. Then Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Avimelech said to Abraham, What do these seven ewe lambs mean, which you have set by themselves? He, he, he doesn't know a lot of things. And he said, You shall take these seven ewe lambs from my hand in order that it may be a witness to me that I dug this well. In other words, I'm giving this to you to prove so that you'll always know that I'm telling you the truth, that I dug this well. Therefore, he called that place Beersheba, because there the two of them took an oath. And so now we know how Beersheba gets its name, Beersheba, uh, well of the oath, well of the oath. Now, it can also mean seven, but according to the text here, it says, because the two of them took an oath, okay? All right. So they made a covenant at Beersheba, and Avimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, arose and returned to the land of the Philistines. And Abraham planted a tamarisk tree at Beersheba because it grows in the desert. Uh, and there he called the name of that place the Everlasting God. So Abraham has this moment of worship at the end of the story of he and Avimelech. Okay? And Abraham sojourned in the land of the Philistines many days. So there he is. Where is he? He's sojourning in the land of the Philistines many days, but he's at Beersheba. We know that's kind of like, you know, his uh, home turf there. Uh, and Beersheba is there to this day. We call it Beersheba, right? Uh, and, uh, and there you go. So, uh, so what we see here is uh, this uh, blessing upon Avimelech and a blessing upon Abraham. And by the way, what this tells us is, is that Abraham owned a piece of the rock, so to speak, before he bought the, uh, the uh, plot for Sarah in the cave of Machpelah. Going all the way back here, Abraham owns a well. So that's kind of interesting uh, right, uh, right there. And um, all right, very good. So that kind of gives us the rest of the story with Abraham and Avimelech. And what we wanted to take away is mutual blessing, mutual blessing. The one who, we should, who should be really a bad, a bad apple, Avimelech should be a bad apple, king of Gerar, king of a Philistine kingdom, should be bad, but he's not so bad. And he and Abraham bless each other, right? Again, uh, all of these stories, historical accounts in Breshit are all pointing, pointing to the future, pointing to the destiny of, uh, of Israel, and pointing to the destiny of nations that bless Israel, okay? They're more than just moral lessons in and of themselves, although they function that way too. Okay, now... Let's look at the middle part. So meanwhile, here at the beginning of chapter 21, we read, Then the Lord took note of Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Right? Promising that in her old age, she would have a child. And so now Isaac is born. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called uh, the name of his son 
who was born to him, whom Sarah had born to him, Isaac. Remember that God, uh, when Abraham was 75 years old, or no, when he was 84 years old, when he was 84 years old, uh, that is when uh, Ishmael was born. And Abraham learns also that, he's, that Sarah is going to have a child and that the name of the child is going to be Isaac. Okay? This is why a- Abraham's name gets changed and Jacob's name gets changed, but Isaac's name never gets changed because God gave him the name Isaac. Okay? All right. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now, even though Ishmael had been circumcised, uh, we have the Brit Milah here with uh, Isaac when he's eight days old. So this is the first time we read about a son being, having the bris at eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now, Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. So Sarah said, and Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. She's joyful, and that's what Yitzchak means, okay? And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Like, who would have thunk it, you know? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on that day that Isaac was weaned. So it was a great day. Now, nobody knows exactly the length of time from Isaac being born to when he's weaned, two to three years. Two to three years, so two plus years, okay? All right, uh, so uh, it's a great day, but now there's a monkey wrench thrown in the whole thing. Uh, in verse 9, now Sarah saw that the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, interestingly enough, Ishmael is not named by name in this narrative, just the son, Okay? Sarah, uh, now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, again, remember, she's an Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham mocking. Now, this is interesting because the word mocking in Hebrew is derived from Yitzchak, okay? And it can mean a variety of things. It can mean a number of uh, different things. Uh, Here, most likely, it is simply laughing or playing because what's really happening here is that Sarah is concerned about something besides Ishmael laughing, mocking, whatever he's doing. And that is that according to the law of the day, Ishmael would have inheritance rights. And so somehow Ishmael needed to be extricated from the scene so that he would not have inheritance rights. And so interesting, in the laws of that day, uh, if a son was sent away... Uh, and no longer lived under the auspices of his father, he would forego the rights of inheritance. Okay? That's important to get here. It wasn't just, I'm offended, get rid of her. That's That's on the surface, but it's quite clear that Sarah wants to get rid of Hagar and Ishmael. Now, therefore she said to Abraham, drive out this maid and her son, For the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. See? That's what she's really about here. Okay? So that for the son of the maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. That's what's really on Sarah's mind. And the matter distressed 
Abraham greatly because of his son. Abraham loved uh, Ishmael, and this distressed him. Not only that, but may I suggest that perhaps Abraham thought of this as an unjust action. You know, remember the way of the Lord, acting righteously and justly, that's what Abraham's about. And so it is uh, very interesting here, because what she's really asking is something that is, on the surface, kind of unfair. And so uh, uh, perhaps Abraham is distressed not only uh, because of, uh, of his relationship with Ishmael, but also that it seems to be like an unethical act. And this really is distressing. And God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac your descendants will be named. God says, Don't be distressed, but... but the matter greatly distressed Abraham. And so I think that I always find that to be a pretty interesting set of verses. It doesn't really answer uh, right there Abraham's concern uh, yet. Okay? Uh, also, uh, it seems that uh, God is saying, What? Separate? You're telling me? You're telling me that whatever she says to do? Like, it's okay to send them out into the wilderness? That's coming from you, God? We'll see that chapter 21 and chapter 22 have certain similarities like this. That it seems that, God, what are you up to? God, what, what are you doing? God, this doesn't seem right. Okay? And then God says in verse 13, And of the son of the maid, I will make a nation also, because he is your descendant. So he's going to have a posterity. He's going to have his own inheritance, but not the covenantal inheritance that you're going to give to Isaac. Okay? So God comforts him, but he is going to be separated from him. And in those days, I mean, it wasn't like, I'll take you to the bus station, you know, buy you a bus ticket and you'll be on your way. He's sending them out into no man's land, into the wilderness uh, into a very dangerous, difficult, and life-threatening place. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder, and gave her the boy and sent her away, and she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water in the skin was used up, and she left the boy under one of the bushes." Then she went and sat down opposite him, about a bow shot away, and she said, Do not let me see the boy die. And she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. So at this time, Ishmael is not a little kid. He is definitely over 16 years old, based on Abraham's uh, ages, you know, uh, that we read about, and probably closer to 18 years old. So first of all, it's important to understand that uh, when, in verse 14 when it says, he took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them over her shoulder and gave her the boy. That is a very good translation. She didn't put the boy over her shoulder, okay? But they go out. And the word na'ar there it has to do with um, basically uh, a boy who's under marriage age or not married, okay? So, but we can tell about how old he is. All right. 
Uh, and so you have now this homeless woman, this homeless single mother, who is, who, who is in the middle of nowhere and in a very precarious, difficult, horrible place. And it looks like she's giving up and they're both going to die. And on top of it, God said to Abraham, whatever Sarah tells you to do, go and do it. How could this be? God heard the lad crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. So evidently, Ishmael has cried out to God, and God hears his voice. And when we read that in the Bible, of course, it means that uh, uh, God has, uh, is going to act on, uh, on what is being said here. Okay, so then it says, Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin of water, and gave the lad a drink. And God was with the lad, and he grew, and he lived in the wilderness, and he became an archer. And he lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from, uh, the, land of, uh, from the land of Egypt. All right, so there are many, uh, many similarities between this chapter uh, this chapter and the next chapter. I will just say it now. We'll talk about it when we get there. But isn't it interesting that uh, seemingly in chapter 22, Isaac's life is about to end and Abraham's eyes are lifted up and opens. And Hagar sees that her son's life is about to end and she lifts up her eyes and she sees how God is going to meet the needs of her son. So that's very interesting. It tells us about God's concern for Ishmael, God's concern for Isaac. You know, there is a midrash about this whole thing with Ishmael uh, and Hagar. And it's very interesting. It says this, The angels argued... <clears throat> now, a midrash is not like from the text of the Bible. It's sort of like, try, it's sort of like a story to explain why the things are happening. So it's like, I'll just say, it's kind of like a made-up story to explain why the things are happening, if you're not familiar with Midrash. The angels argue that Ishmael should be left to die because his descendants would kill countless Jews. According to the Midrash, at this point, Ishmael repents and was worthy of being saved. God responded that every individual is judged on the basis of where they are now not on the basis of what their descendants will do. We need not have a perfect past nor a perfect future uh, as we approach uh, God. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? You know? Uh, and, uh, and so uh, the way that Ishmael is in the text of the Bible and in himself does not seem to reflect what his descendants end up being and doing. Uh, and so that is, I think that's kind of interesting. All right. Now, what, uh, uh, what, what do we learn about this from this, we might say? Well, first of all, one of the things that we see, well, as we saw uh, or just uh, mentioned, 
is uh, indeed that uh, a God is true to his word. Isaac is born. Isaac is going to be the uh, son of promise. But God honors Ishmael because he is descended from Abraham and Hagar as well. And so, again, a case of I will bless those, you know, who, uh, who bless you. Uh, and so we see that Abraham is a blessing to the nations. Abraham is a blessing. Uh, uh, God blesses Hagar and Ishmael because of, of Abraham. Uh, and we see that over and over and over again uh, in, the, uh, in the text. But there's, uh, I think there's a great lesson, certainly uh, for all of us here, and that is we are oftentimes like Hagar in a situation where we wonder, what on earth is God doing? Why, why would God allow uh, you know, something like this to happen? Well, it's interesting what we see here. I remember we said uh, at the beginning today, Back in chapter 20, Abraham was trying to control the situation with he and Sarah, right? And the situation came to control him. Well, in chapter 21, Sarah tries to control the situation, you know? Okay, get rid of Hagar and the child. Not understanding about being the child of promise, right? And so God allows this to take place so that he might take control of the situation for everyone to see. Abraham has to give up. God is, when God tells Abraham to listen to what Sarah says, in a way, what he is saying to Abraham is, you must give up control of this son. You've got to give up trying to spare him, trying to protect him, and I will provide. And this is such a great lesson for us that we see in Abraham and Sarah's life of trying to control the situation and recognizing that when we do that, the great, a great lesson is when we do that, it will backfire because we're doing it in the flesh. We're doing it in our own, uh, uh, in our own way. But God, he is the one who is faithful. He is the one who is the promise keeper. And so Hagar is made to go out into the wilderness. It seems like all is lost so that she can lift up her eyes and see the hand of God. It reminds me of what we read, uh, you know, in the Brit Chadashah in 2 Corinthians, uh, when Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. When I don't have control, that's when I must lay it at the feet of Yeshua. Leave it at the feet of God and he will intervene. Otherwise, in a way, what we end up doing oftentimes uh, is uh, spinning our wheels, making the situation uh, much worse. Isn't this a, it's really a great parenting chapter when you think about it. Because, you know, when our kids are little, we can control them. Because, first of all, you know, at the very beginning, they can't even crawl, right? And they're totally dependent on us for life. Then they, control, can, they can walk and they can, they, they can crawl and all that, but they can't really get out of the house even, right? Uh, and then really all the way up until they can drive, uh, uh, you know, we have some basic controls 
uh, over them. But we will come to a place in all of our children's lives where no longer can we wrestle control from them. Uh, And when we try to do that, believe me, it backfires. And at some point, we've got to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. Because the more I try to manipulate a situation and all that, it doesn't work. It doesn't work in most manipulating situations or forcing things usually doesn't work. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be assertive. It doesn't mean that, that we're like letting go and letting, like taking my hand off the steering wheel. It's not talking about that kind of chazarai, if you know what I mean. It's, uh, it's, uh, it, it's saying trusting God and not trying to force the event to take place, right? And that takes great discernment to know when, when I'm doing that and when I'm not. That's why you need to be filled with the Ruach and, and know that. But, but here we, we clearly, we clearly uh, uh, see that. And we also, in the same vein, learn that sometimes God demonstrates something spectacular when we are in the most vulnerable place. When we're in the most vulnerable place, God will do something spectacular. You know, that's, that's basically what Paul was saying, you know, there in 2 Corinthians as well. But what we see over and over again, we see it in chapter 20, and we see it here in chapter 21, is that God preserves the covenant, that the people are constantly messing it up by trying to control the situation. See, that happened with the birth of Ishmael. It happens here. It happens with Abraham and Sarah on two different occasions, once with Pharaoh and once with Avimelech. But once control is given up, God intervenes. See, uh, And that is, this is a great lesson that Abraham is learning, that Sarah is learning, uh, and, you know, and Hagar is also learning. So it's interesting that when you come to the end of the chapter and you have then this last piece, with uh, Avi Melech. Abraham is seemingly in a different place a little bit. He's in a sense like a, um, almost like uh, equal with Avi Melech. They make a covenant. It's not that Abraham is uh, submissive to him. And it's as if Abraham has come to a place of, of his walk with God where he now trusts God. He doesn't try to manipulate the situation. But he's honest with Avimelech, uh, and uh, he's blessed with his well and peace, you know, in his days. And, and, uh, and so what a, great bless- what a great lesson, indeed, you know, that is, uh, that is for us. Now, we have the Ruach. We have the Ruach HaKodesh, right? And so he uh, prompts us and gives us discernment. So that we know when it's me and when it's God, you know, and uh, very, very important uh, uh, for us to get. But, but what, a, what a great lesson that is. In the text, we could say the great lesson is God is going to preserve his covenant. God's going to preserve Israel. He's going to preserve Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the sons of Jacob, even when they mess up. And that is the history of the Jewish people to this very day. Okay, God continues to be faithful no matter what. All right. Uh, but again, so then we can make that application, hopefully in our own lives, 
you know, about God's relationship with us. Uh, and uh, may we learn, uh, may we learn from this. The, you know, the last thing uh, I just want to say here is I want to quote something from Abraham Joshua Heschel about this issue of, uh, you know, having our eyes opened to see God. Uh, let us not leave this passage without really emphasizing that as well. That we need to have our eyes opened. Because oftentimes, of course our eyes are opened, but we have like spiritual cataracts. Oh, I just thought of that. Okay. We have spiritual cataracts. We can't really see what's there. We can't really see that God is there. Perhaps you are in a crisis right now, or you have great remorse and regret right now. And you've tried to manipulate, you've tried to control, and it's totally backfired in your life. And you might say, oh, all is lost. We need to look up and have our eyes opened. Heschel said this. Uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel called these moments of having one's eyes opened, these moments of seeing the blessing of God where we had previously seen nothing as radical amazement. Radical amazement. That's a big Heschel phrase. Radical amazement. Heschel wrote in the book, God in Search of Man, on page 46, mankind will not perish for lack of information, but only for want of appreciation. Wonder and amazement can be seen when we open our eyes to the presence of God in all things, the mundane as well as the extraordinary. Viewing a beautiful sunset as well as the disappointment of unfulfilled dreams turns to wonder and amazement when we see the hand of God in everything. When Yeshua, now he didn't say this part. This is, this is the Darash on Vayera from 2016, from last year, from this portion, the Darash that I send out every week, okay? From last year, I wrote this, okay? When Yeshua suffered and died for our sins, it was a horrible scene. However, when our eyes are open to the plan and purpose of God, we view this horror with amazement and wonder. We ourselves can say, God sees and he provides, as we'll see in chapter 22. May our eyes be opened to see the well, Abraham's well, uh, and uh, Hagar's well, right? Today, we are living in troublesome times, and I'll just say, we need to be able to uh, say, no matter what our situation may be, I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. And my soul knows it very well. Let us open our eyes and see and appreciate the wonders and the blessings of God as well as the challenges in all of our lives as if for the first time. And so may we pray, God, open my eyes so I can see with eyes of faith. And when we do, we will indeed be encouraged and have hope for the future as did Abraham, as did Sarah, as did Hagar. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you, God, for we see the challenges and reality of Abraham's life and faith, as we'll see at the binding of Isaac also next time. Lord, I pray, God, that we would have our eyes opened, that we would have eyes of faith. We would not just see what's out there, not just see the, the surface, but understand that you are indeed at work, even if we can't understand it. Lord, may we indeed trust you. Lord, uh, thank you, God, that when Abraham gave up control of his son, 
Ishmael, God gave him blessing that, that became quite obvious. And Lord, we thank you that you kept your word and gave uh, he and Sarah uh, the son Isaac, the son of promise. But God, we learn here also your blessing upon Ishmael, Hagar, and Avimelech, people who are the other, not related to Abraham, but who were in relationship with him. God, and we thank you, God, that when we know you, regardless of our uh, own biology and heritage, we all become related to Abraham. We all become blessed, Lord, through that relationship uh, with you in Abraham, God. And thank you, God, that here we see in the calling of Israel, not just uh, Israel is a blessed nation, but Israel is blessed in order to be a blessing to the nations. We thank you, Lord, for Yeshua, our Messiah, the one uh, who is the ultimate Israelite. Uh, uh, and Lord, thank you that whoever embraces Yeshua, whoever embraces that Israelite, certainly is indeed blessed with life forever in him. We thank you and we pray in Yeshua's name.